This is the Nomad Futurist Podcast, a podcast about the evolution of technology, society, and transformation. Connect with us, share your thoughts with us at nomadfuturist.com. Let's get this started. Here are Phil and Nabil. Well, hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Nomad Futurist Podcast. This is Nabil from Hawaii. This is Phil from Brooklyn, New York. And this is Dale from Colorado Springs, Colorado. Dale, welcome to the podcast. Great to have Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Happy to be here. So let's start with uh, a little bit of your background. Well, I'm an electrical engineer, power quality engineer by profession. And I started uh, back in the late 60s when I was 15 years old in high school in vocational electronics. Graduated as a technician, uh, a TV stereo technician, and wanted to go to college. Actually, I wanted to be a NASA engineer. My dad was in the Air Force, and we were going to put men on the moon. So I thought that would be interesting. After three years, my father passed away, and so I had to get work. So I became entered and became an electrician industrial commercial electrician and later years later I, uh, I went back to school and became an, a double e and I've worked for uh, fortune 500 and fortune 10 companies uh, around the world solving their power issues and power quality issues down to the pieces of equipment to make semiconductor chips or whether it's in data centers to uh, uh, make manufacture data so that's what I'm doing today with the FedEx corporation I'm working in their international uh, data center here in Colorado Springs that runs uh, all 13 opcos where right now I'm I'm really proud to be part of that uh, uh, data center's uh, activities because uh, FedEx is flying aircraft, uh, running trucks all over the world with healthcare uh, packages and and relief for uh, not only the United States, but all countries all over the world. So we're on the front lines of uh, helping to beat this pandemic. Even though I'm working from home and I'm working uh, in the office and doing designs and whatnot every day, the data center is still crunching along and we're still sending aircraft and packages to specific sites all over the world. So it's, it's quite rewarding. Absolutely. So I mean, in a lot of ways, you've actually followed your dream. I mean, you want to be a NASA engineer, you want to explore a new way of life. And currently, right. in the state that you're in, you're basically supporting right. the lifestyle that mankind needs on this planet. Life deals you different cards than what you expect or what you could plan out or what you could afford. But you just, I just kept striving ahead and pushing ahead and trying to do the best I could with whatever doors were open to me and, and then tried to excel at whatever, whatever was there. You know, even if it was running conduit, you know, I was known as a pipe organ conduit runner. Everything was square with the world and straight and correct and no mistakes. And excited me from high school on was building something or troubleshooting something and then turning it on, energizing it, and some work got done. And now it's uh, to the point where some work is being done internationally around the world. So it's been quite satisfying. So Dale, you mentioned that you're in the data center business, primarily focused on the electrical part of the business. Prior to that, you were in the semiconductor business. How did you make that transition from semiconductor industry to the data center industry? Well, one of the problems with uh, the semiconductor industry, and I I was working for uh, uh, the NCR Corporation, and then for the ATT Corporation, and then for the Atmel Corporation. And at Atmel, the uh, founder and CEO, George Pelagos, was the first engineer to invent the double EEPROM. And that meant that you could uh, write and erase 
a chip electronically. It used to be in the past, you had to take the cover off and get to the PC board and shine an ultraviolet light on the window on the chip to erase it. So his invention was quite uh, remarkable or earth-changing for all of society and sciences and space. So uh, he split off uh, from Intel and, and started Atmel. So I worked uh, for Mr. Pelagos. And one of the problems we had uh, internationally was power quality because the uh, same electricity that went into the manufacturing equipment that would uh, make lines and scribe and, and photographs down to the minute microns were affected by uh, the electricity that I was giving them, whether it was in focus or not in focus or the time of the gases in the system or the, the amount of etching that was taking place and whatnot. So I became a power quality engineer and studied all how to deal with harmonics and transients and all kinds of, all of our equipment was designed and built from all over the world. And so we had to plug them into U.S. power and then eventually into French power when we had plant in, in France and then in the Philippines and all over. But anyway, uh, power quality became the, the measure, the foundation that they would manufacture upon. And when we uh, revolted this uh, campus, it uh, took us five months to revolt the campus and 150 electric to cut it over. But the next day, manufacturers said, I don't know what you guys did, but it, we, we're running better than we ever have run and we don't have any outages. And they went, they worked for the next uh, 10 years without any stoppage, without any interruption where they had trouble before. And they made $10 billion off the electrical platform. So I felt pretty proud about that. And then when uh, all the semiconductor here in Colorado Springs and in San Jose. We were known as Silicon Mountain. San Jose was Silicon Valley. We uh, All the work was going to China. So all the manufacturing shut down here in the U.S. So we were looking for a, a transition that would uh, be of the same type of industry. And so Colorado Springs uh, tried enticing uh, data centers because we had such a great power quality platform and high planes so we could use heat exchangers and not have to run chillers all the time to cool off the data centers. And so uh, FedEx came in and we uh, competed for an international job and we were accepted. So I um, did the same thing with the design of of uh, the semiconductor, uh, semiconductor. I transposed that over into power quality for uh, data center manufacturing of data and all the IT equipment on the white space floors. And it worked fantastic because the problems that the IT equipment has is that they're fed with uh, here in the U.S. with 208 volt and single phase or three phase on their new on their dual power supplies, and those power supplies change it to DC and make a DC bus. And that DC bus then is the language that all of the uh, servers, all the ICs, everything inside runs on. So if a transient go blasting through that power supply, which they can, they uh, confuse the code in the uh, computer's uh, uh, scripts because it's all ones and zeros and they've got an extra one in there, a spike or whatever. And we may send our package to the wrong address or to the wrong country. I mean, I think I speak for um, all of our listeners and, and we all appreciate the fact that the NASA dream didn't come true. And based <laughs> on all of our FedEx uh, deliveries and, and Amazon orders and, and whatnot, that uh, you stayed on this planet and, and helped create the critical infrastructure that runs FedEx. You uh, touched uh, this idea of sexiness of the industry. And, you know, I've said for some time in, in my world that people don't necessarily, the people that, that run apps and, and develop apps and, and next generation platforms, you know, with the advent of cloud infrastructure and all that, there's, there's, there's not necessarily the recognition 
that the underlying infrastructure that supports all of those things, the things that people are using more today um, or appreciating more today than they have even a, a few months ago or a few weeks ago, is the same that it's been. Copper touching copper, glass touching glass, and a lot of the same fundamental elements of, of, of electronics that, that you're so passionate about. And, you know, I guess at, at the end of the day, when Nabil and I started coming up with the idea of the podcast, it was uh, really born out of this notion that, you know, as we travel the world going to conference after conference, you know, we noticed a an uptick in the average age of the attendees and, and not as much new blood as you would think coming into an mm. industry that was so relevant to what people were using and I'd love to get your take on how to make the idea of operating critical infrastructure, which, as you eloquently put, can take you around the world and has taken you around the world. And you're supporting all of these fundamental things that I think a lot of people take for granted that require critical infrastructure that, that you've built and, and that we've all had a hand in supporting it at one point in another or another and make it as sexy as, say, finance and law and entertainment and media, all of which, to a larger and larger extent, are supported by the, the critical infrastructure that, that we're all so passionate about. That was a really, really long-winded question. Can- <laughs> well, I think I understand where you're coming from. If I could share a, a quick little historical story, I think it would go to the core of the issue. Uh, my father was end up being a chief master sergeant in the U.S. Air Force, and when he was young, young he was a a, uh, a sergeant, and he, he was responsible for the B-52 aircrafts up in South Dakota, and uh, then he became maintenance manual writer for all the B-52s around the world, and and this longest running platform of any military platform we have in our arsenal still today. And so even though he passed away with cancer years ago, he uh, he still making a difference in world security because of the maintenance programs he's written. But we were there on Armed Forces Day up in South Dakota, and they had a big rope between the tarmac and the and the and uh, all the static displays. And he was taking me up to the static displays of being his firstborn son. And, hey, Pick, is that your son? I'll hand him over here. And they'd reach me over, and I'd sit down in the pilot seat. And this big old steering wheel, it seemed like it's three-foot diameter, you know, was in front of me. And, and they'd slide me into the cockpit of this other, of the boom truck, and they'd roof gas up there, their airplanes. And so you know, I found it very interesting. So we ended up on the far left of the static display, and the Thunderbirds took off for their uh, presentation, a big roar and a sparkle of sunlight, and quite impressive to a little boy. And I was holding my father's right hand, and he was looking out over the tarmac, and I thought that was a good opportunity to ask him what any little boy would ask about peer group pressure and peer group uh, uh, liking. I asked my dad, I said, Dad, how come all those men in uh, green pajamas like you so much? And he just stayed still and looked stoic across that uh, runway, and I saw his lips tight, start to quiver a little bit, and got teary-eyed, and a big old alligator tear came down his cheek, and he said, because my birds always come home. And I thought, man, that is fascinating a goal and to achieve as, as a quality person. And so from that moment on, I strive to live on my father's shoulders and do the same thing with whatever industry opened up for me. 
So it, it may not be sexy, but it, I, like I said, I enjoy turning things on and they light up and the fans move and the, mo- and the molecules change and the electrons change and the programs spin up and they change the programs, electrons to light frequencies and we send them over fiber optic cables and in an instant they're around the world and it just, uh, it just turns me on. It's, I've made it sexy because it's something that, that I do. But I think that the young people who all who sit at home and play video games and want to be video game uh, writers and designers, that's, that's quite an achievement. It's hard to do. And it's like the NFL, it's a very narrow field to get into. But it's, uh, I'm not sure that uh, video games are going to change the course of mankind or find a cure for the virus or you know something like that. But uh, there are a lot of jobs behind the scenes, a lot of jobs in support. Look, look at the, look at the Nasdaq or the stock market. Uh, look at all those monitors and all the electronics that has to travel in milliseconds. And depends on whether you put your order in a millisecond before somebody else means whether you beat them or not beat them. And all that infrastructure, all that equipment has to has to have a source, has to have a heart, has to have repair people, has to have a origin, a design, a purpose. And uh, today, I think one of the, I wish I would have gotten into it years ago, uh, was battery technology. Uh, everything is going to batteries. Look at our cell phones. Look at what we do with our pads. And I think the future of electronics is going to be supported by the batteries. And it doesn't sound sexy, but batteries can completely change the world. Batteries are used in satellites and they, they can't break or break down or discharge. And so there's a lot of things in this world we can do and apply it to medical industry, apply it to finance, apply it to automotive industry. Uh, look at all those assembly lines that are programmed with the robotic uh, welders and have to hit the exact spot, the exact place. And all that's technical. All that is uh, achieved that and, and there's great success in that and there's good money in that. That uh, I have wins and they're grown now and they're in, in their 30s. But I was very concerned about what kind of industries they would go into and what they would do. They were uh, uh, earned scholarships to a, a prestigious university and so they, they're out trying to pave their way and try to follow in my father's footsteps and make it so that uh, whatever challenge comes across my plate, that all my birds always come home. Very heartwarming story. So leading into footsteps, you developed uh, a work ethic and you're proud of what you do. I believe a part of the challenge that we have is there is a limitation of human capital and a limitation of younger generation getting into the space that we are in and supporting right. mission critical environments gaming for instance you talked about yeah it's it's a very niche play for younger generation to be part of but somebody's got to be on the back end to provide develop and support that infrastructure what advice would you give the younger generation what should we tell the younger generation about the mission critical environment and supporting anything that's connected I think that what we've kicked around for years trying to compare our high school educational programs and post-high school education programs to Europe. I think it's fascinating in Europe, and being English, they have Votech or they have collegiate opportunities. And I had an opportunity in Votech, and I chose the Votech instead of a straight collegiate 
path, which eventually I went to collegiate path. But uh, I think that in America, we're, we've missed the boat for years. If I was a young person, becoming a bi- biology student in college or a French teacher, or those all have great uh, public need and necessity. But there's also a vast amount of technical and infrastructure positions that if we're, America is going to come back and take on the role of manufacturing again, we're going to need uh, that type of insight and those type of people and that type of passion now more than ever. So what I'm gathering is that you're suggesting, and it's actually, it, it does make a lot of sense as well, that instead of getting a liberal arts degree, the educational system needs to be reformed, whereby we need to promote more trade schools and trade education, exposing the younger generation to probably programming like C++ to electrical engineering, mechanical engineering, other parts, the technical nature of the world that we live in now. Absolutely. And uh, I'll, as an aside, uh, anyone that has gone into like a um, freshly installed data center and like a, a particularly large scale one and sees how the conduits are laid out, and you know the cables are all tied down. If that's not sexy, I don't know what is. I mean, there's an entire <laughs> genre of cable porn that I think pe- that people really appreciate. Beyond that, look, I think at the end of the day, uh, what you're getting at is that the younger generation that is trying to determine what um, the best career path for them is has to look at what's most impactful and what what, what makes a difference. You know, we've gone beyond just the idea of you know how you're going to make money or or not make money and gotten to the point where we need to, the younger folks to look inward, and I think the next generation is looking at that, recognizing that a lot of the problems in the world are unfortunately going to be theirs to solve, and how can they participate in a way um, that makes an actual difference and isn't just shifting paperwork around or being you know, a snake oil salesman or, or whatever. Right, right. I think that it, the earlier that we can get to the youth... Uh, in any country, but I'm speaking specifically in America and American business, uh, the sooner we can get to any of those individuals, uh, males and females alike, and we can provide them a path like those flat escalators at the airport so they can get on that escalator and they can go faster, walk or, or stand still and be carried along into industries that need them and want them and they can find success and be self-sufficient and, and have the gratification of doing a good job and uh, being a, a contributor to humanity. That's that's the big turn on. That's the big difference. You know, whether you're uh, designing cameras for Hollywood or sound systems for Hollywood or, or whatever it may, might be, uh, you just pick an industry and, and it all has an infrastructure route. And uh, unfortunately, we're looking, everybody's looking at the, the flashing lights and the glitter and the, and the uh, uh, of the industry and not looking at how it works from behind and what we do to to maintain that and make it work better. Well, if you look at and, your story, uh, your your story specifically, you know, you were set up for success through that experience with your father at what I mean, an incredibly young age. So it's it's about trying to trying to um, get the the real youth, you know, as early as you know, kindergarten, first grade, second grade, you know, making sure that they are understanding the way things work as opposed to just yeah. how to use them. Yes, and that stacking blocks in, in kindergarten has a purpose, has a meaning. 
archways are were invented back when the uh, uh, in the tenth and twelfth centuries when these big cathedrals were built and they had to hold, hold up the sides. And here I thought McDonald's invented the arch. No, <laughs> it's right. It's a golden arch. Yeah, <laughs> I believe that. I think our future and our youth and our families are dependent upon it. And uh, you know, we read of so many of our young people that are having to move back home and and can't find good jobs. And I'm just hoping after this pandemic that it it just blasts open around the world. You know, I think that the world is covered by a in, invisible cloud where all businesses are mostly shut down. The whole globe is shut down. It's just something we've never seen before. And when we come back, I'm hoping that it's a bonfire and that we'll have all these needs and, and the people will, will have taken a second look at life and, and find out the importance of life and, and dedicate their lives to uh, mankind and to a betterment for themselves. So it sounds like that you're very optimistic about the future. If you look at many of the science fiction movies, they present a dark future. I think we are living through that dark future right now. Mm-hmm. What do you think would be the new norm after we come out of this uh, pandemic? Well, human beings as a whole, and it's a terrible uh, generic uh, thing to say, but people as a whole are usually uh, lazy and they usually repeat the same actions over and over. So if you now are getting your clothes and pants from Amazon and having delivered to your house, you probably after this are not going to change those patterns. You're probably going to want to do it more, which is going to be catastrophic for some businesses. Big boxes and other industries are going to explode. Or people are going to say, hey, I've got money now. Let's eat, drink, and be merry, or tomorrow we might die again. So I just see that the, the expenditures could just just explode. And businesses are, are we're going to work hard to, to regain capital they lost in the last quarter. And so it's I just think it, the turnaround is going to be uh, better than it was before. And I'm hoping that uh, in, in that process, we, we now have seen that the healthcare industry needs our support, needs that technology, even with uh, something as simple as a, as a technical ventilator. But uh, I'm just hoping that, uh, that our youth will see the difference that uh, they saw and heard of grandparents that died and friends that died. And, and these things can strike and we might, uh, we should invest our lives in a future uh, to make a difference. That's the only way I think it's going to get better is if we if we try to make a difference. Every human being has gifts and talents and has backgrounds and has hang-ups and has problems, and I did too. But uh, I just tried to force through whatever doors were open to me and, and make the best of that and leverage it into something else. I always try to take something bad and turn it into something good. But if I had a flat tire in my Corvette, I'd try, okay, now what can I do to leverage this better? I can get a, a better tire on those rims than I had before and have better traction and better fuel economy. So I try to turn a negative into a positive. That's a great way of thinking. I believe there's a lot of good stuff that's going to come out of this pandemic. For instance, it potentially might uh, help people with the digital transformation and adopting technology and leveraging technology and platforms. It will help businesses yes. sustain. I think in a realistic approach, we have to have a realistic application where it makes a difference, not just pie in the sky or some Ethernet, ether uh, where uh, I think we have to get realistic about about our lives. Exactly. That's that's a good transition. And I can probably put a little bit of my thought in it. From a technical perspective, 
There's a lot more interest from the management that's going to come into play whereby they want real-time information, real system autonomies. They want to know exactly what an infrastructure is capable of doing and handling and what potentially should there be growth strategies. So it's more right. and more applications that are going to be developed and we're going to narrow it down. Like for instance, you and I have had these conversations several times in the past. We over-design these infrastructures and underutilize it. As we move forward, less capital infusion with less bills and putting infrastructure at strains as we currently have, that information has become a lot more critical. You need to know, and you mentioned energy management earlier, that's a significant capital expense. So you need to know on a real-time basis what your capacities are and what should your growth strategy be and what's your uptime and availability of an infrastructure. I hope that we have future designs we can design like lily pads that we can uh, put our limited capital into an, an excellent platform and make that platform usable so it can link to the next lily pad and the next one and the next one. Instead of having to design a package of a thousand lily pads, we'll start with the first one and make it right and then expand from there as capital comes in and, and as our technology base, uh, the decisions we've made in the beginning, the fundamentals, uh, we can leverage that. What are the challenges that you're seeing uh, right now in, in your space that you're in? Oh, my. Um, it goes back to the human factor. I think one of the saddest things about several industries that I've been in and is management and management's approach. People take jobs because of their interviews with a manager, and they leave jobs because the managers are, are bad. They might, they might love what they do, but they can't stand the manager, or they don't get raises, they don't get recognition. Just simple interpersonal relationships and better management, I think, would make for a better working society. I think we need to train our managers how to be people persons instead of bottom line people. You need to know the bottom line, but you need to manage people. You want a cloth with Liverpool. He's taking a team that was down in the dumps and turned around. How does he do it? He gives them a hug. He pats them on the back. He talks to them one-on-one -on -one as if they're their son and he means something. And they go out there and they bust their butt for him. And they, they run for miles because of, because of the love they have for him. It's the same thing in industry. If you had people working for you like you had in the past uh, and you had uh, designers and programmers working for you, they knew you cared. They knew that you were going to take care of them and they worked hard for you and uh, they made a difference for you and the business exploded. I think that that's part of it. It's not just technology. It doesn't do fall out of the sky. It's created by people and it's and you have to have a energetic environment and an open work environment. And I'm, I'm not necessarily talking about a Microsoft where everybody's playing ping pong and whatnot. I'm just talking about an environment where you can excel and where your progress is approved and guided and noticed, uh, invigorates you to, to do more. Uh, I just I just think that's it, it, the hardest thing that I have to overcome is is some personalities and politics and management. It's not electrons. It's not copper. It's not physics. It's not space. It's not capital. It's not time. Uh, it's it's the hindrance of small thinkers and managers that that um, could be trained to do a better job. There are two things that I learned in that response. Firstly, 
Um, I was skeptical about whether you were actually born in England or not. I am no longer skeptical. <laughs> Secondly, you know, the, these types of issues, as you mentioned, you know, we're all, we're all human. So I think human interact is always, I always say, uh, and I mentioned it in, in previous podcasts as well, that no matter how, you know, technical my life is or Nabil's life, 85% of what I do is, is psychological, um, you know, open lines of communication and the benefits of, mm-hmm. of communication. And what happens typically with, uh, with times of crisis is that it typically exacerbates whatever personalities are involved in that particular crisis. So if you find yourself to be, you know, a good communicator and, and, and a good manager, or, you, you know, you have a good relationship with your, with your coworkers and associates and partners and whatnot, then, you know, that is exacerbated by uh, crisis and you really uh, see the, the benefits of, uh, uh, of maintaining that. If you are inherently, you know, separated from the rest of your staff and, and closed minded, then the staff feels immediately because, uh, and to a certain extent, clients, particularly in the data center world, feel it immediately because there's not that open line of communication about, you know, what are you doing? Uh, what, what's, what's happening within your particular organization from one crisis to the next? Because, you know, in, in some way, we're all crisis managers. The reason people chose data centers in the first place was because of, you know, the prediction of, of disasters and making sure that you have right. you know, resilient right. infrastructure. So this pandemic just globalizes that and creates a broader structure. But in your world specifically, it's not just you, right? You're, you, you have a team to a certain extent that you're managing, um, albeit remotely uh, right now. How have you seen the benefits of, of communication? What, what sorts of issues have you seen in terms of managing critical staff that can't simply work from home? In, right. in a pandemic where, you know, to a certain extent, they have to put themselves at risk in order to support the underlying uh, infrastructure. We, we try real hard to break down silos. A lot of people build silos out of fear and protection. They don't, you know, that they cover over their test questions, hover over it so you, you can't see what I'm doing. This is my area. I'm going to protect my income and my life uh, with the company because I have all these secrets and you get rid of me and it's all going to fall apart. I, I'm the only one with the code to the bank, you know, or to the safe. And, and this very protective silo environment is very hard to communicate cross-culturally or even cross-departmental. Uh, so we try real hard at FedEx to be have open communication on all levels, uh, no matter what the operating company is or no matter what the responsibility is, because we feel that everyone has uh, the best for the company at heart and they have the best uh, and have a desire to communicate and, and do better. So if you can share that with someone else or share your, your frustrations or your problems or new technology or excitements, it becomes uh, contagious and we, and we move on. One of the things I, I tell people who come on tours or, or whatever about our data center is that we had to design it to where any we could replace any nut, bolt, fan belt, motor, anything as we're going down the highway at 100 miles an hour without ever affecting the data center. So we had to think ahead and, and have alternate plans and connections and whatnot to, to do that. And that we, because we're dealing with electricity as a core, core value, most every business has electricity as a core value, um, we, I count electrons. I, I look at how they react and whether they're noisy or not noisy, or if they're delayed in getting there or if there's re- 
uh, impedance to their flow or whatever the problem is, but those electrons are bumping each other at the speed of light. And we take data and we make uh, programs out of it and, and apps and then responses and, and addresses and names and uh, dollar signs and whatnot in, in a fiber optics light, and that travels at the speed of light. So everything we do is traveling at the speed of light. We don't have time to have an interruption. We don't have time to have a hiccup. And so we cannot uh, uh, run the risk of having unplanned outages or unplanned hiccups. We have to think ahead like a chess game. Now, what could go wrong and how do we avoid that and divert that? And that's been a big part of our success is that we've solved those problems before they become problems by, uh, by working ahead. So I think that in order to solve those problems, we have to do that interdepartmentally. We have to do that with the people in the other cities that are responsible for programs or have to do, do that with other managers and other opcos or and FedEx services or FedEx ground or FedEx express or uh, whatever the opco needs are, FedEx office. And so we try to uh, uh, manage those expectations because we have looked ahead and solved the problem before it became a problem. Like now, we didn't spend a lot of time listening to the warnings of uh, a potential global pandemic, but now we're ready for it. And as we're seeing, we have, we'll have stockpiles of things that'll help us get through the next one, uh, lessons learned. But the same thing here, you know, we, a lot of things happen, happen fast. And so uh, I just think that we can break down those, uh, those uh, towers and uh, make flat, open communication uh, and respect each other's communication. Uh, I think that's a, a big win-win. In some ways, what we're experiencing right now is is fairly unprecedented. You know, anybody that designed a data center for resilience and whatnot, you know, you plan for weather events, uh, interruption of power, failure of uh, certain pieces of equipment, but it's difficult to plan for pandemics, particularly with, uh, you know, uh, human capital and having to change that. Has anything surprised you in terms of um, a challenge that you've seen associated with having to respond to the pandemic in terms of staffing, in terms of, you know, having to, to provision uh, parts, maintenance, et cetera, for facility that you manage? Well, right away, uh, one of the things that uh, other people were concerned with was our interaction with our own employees, if they had to go home and how they would connect and how we would be able to uh, answer that need, that volume. So we received uh, and ordered and received several different servers and several different pieces of equipment that we had to rush in and plug in and add to. And because we are, have flexibility in our systems, because we have capacity stored in our systems and we, so we can plug and play, uh, we were able to respond very quickly to that need and solve that problem. So now we have thousands and thousands of people working from home and they're able to do it with the same speed that they were in the office. And so we're able to keep the business flowing, the business, the business working. Uh, one of the things that I would tell people when we have a tour of the data center is, you know, please don't tell anybody, but we think this data center is running so good, it could run for two weeks or a month without anybody touching it. So that was part of the thing that, that we were so proud of is that we were so rock solid and bulletproof in our plans and our infrastructure that uh, we were able to shift to a skeleton crew of four or five people on different shifts. And we just kept right on trucking. Very, very proud of that. 
Yeah, I can attest to that. I mean, I've had the opportunity of actually working with Dale for, for quite some time now and had the opportunity of visiting his data center. It's by far one of the best data centers I've walked throughout my entire career. If you look back in time, we had, before COVID, we've had Ebola, we had SARS, Mars, we had, going back in time, we had the, the flu in the 1917, 18. It had polio. Exactly. So, I mean, we have had a series of events of this nature pretty much, you know, every five to 10 years. Now, you guys have actually done a phenomenal job in you know, sustaining and being ready for it. Where I was leading with that was we've had all these events over the last hundred years, yet we keep doing the same thing over and over again. And you talked about this being the insanity of being a human. How do we resolve this as we move forward in time, it's going to become yeah. a bigger challenge uh, because everybody's connected now. The expectations of right. the customers and the users have changed. It's become more of an information now culture. So what would organizations do? What should they do in your opinion to ensure continuity? Because the only same thing right now in our lives is this connection. I can see Phil right now and we can talk to you over the phone. We're connected. There is that human and emotional connection that exists because right. of technology. It wouldn't be there if it wasn't for technology. So what should organizations plan for as we move forward in time? I, I think we have to be more culturally diverse in our mindset. I'm not talking about racial or international or nations or peoples. I think that the culture of new technology, the culture of ideas, the culture of making a difference, the culture of acceptance and and giving a pat on the back and new ideas and going to market with those ideas and serving mankind and beginning, reaping the benefits and becoming uh, wealthier today than we were yesterday, uh, I think is a cultural change that we need to make. And uh, instead of everybody looking at themselves, me, 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 I, 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 I want this, get out of my way. Like you see the grocery store, the little old lady crashes into your cart. She gets through, she breaks the six foot distancing rule and she wants to get over there, get that toilet paper. Well, it, it, somehow we've got to have the culture of every life makes a difference and every idea, positive idea has a place and has a place to be nurtured. And I think this goes back to management. I think this goes back to the culture that a, at, that a, a business or a foundation or uh, even a small business, even that would have two or three people involved, how, how you deal with yourselves internally and your internal customers and how you deal with your external customers. I think it's going to make the difference if we can get away with thinking about ourselves and thinking about others and dedicating our lives to making those differences, whether it's in communications or flight or whatever. And that's one thing about this pandemic that was so shocking is that we live in a day to day that the ships are not steamers are not coming over from Europe and people aren't landing to to become citizens of, of this new country. We're flying and we have uh, uh, nonstop flights now. And we, you can be in another country, in another culture in eight hours. It's, it's phenomenal. And, and it comes with that diseases or pandemics, but also comes with that is a social structure. So I, I don't know if it's possible, but somehow our youth and our managers today, we need to have, an, have a, a positive mindset, a positive culture that is very, is kind of lacking in, in, in most areas because we're all thinking me, me, me first. 
Dale, this has been absolutely phenomenal. I'm so glad that uh, you took the time to get on the podcast. Really enjoyed your conversation. Some of the stuff right, that you, you shared with us is very heartwarming. And I believe that this is certainly going to help our listeners and the younger generation. As I well. hope so. hope it inspires them to step out and expand their horizons. Very good. So That's any it. last words, any last thoughts that you would like to share with our listeners? This is an excellent idea. And you two are some of the finest gentlemen I've ever met. Nabil, you've come to the international leader in software and now innovation. And, and I just am proud to count you as a business acquaintance and an and a international friend. Thanks for inviting me on today. And uh, uh, we'll just press on to the future, go through those open doors and do the best we can. Thank you very much again. Look forward to catching up and meeting you in person again soon after the flight paths open up and after we get out of the house arrest situation that we are in. Again, house right. arrest in Kona is a lot different than house arrest in Colorado Springs or in, in Brooklyn. Or in New York. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> this has been great. Nothing lasts forever. Markets will come back. Currencies will rebound. Businesses will go on. And we'll all move on. That could happen next week, next month, or next year. I'm confident that those who prepare rather than panic will come out of this stronger. Thank you for joining us. This has been brought to you by Nomad Futurist. Check us online at nomadfuturist.com.